passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting. The 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. We are live. Hello, everybody. I am John Pollock, joined by waiting. Hi, Wei. What's up, John? How you doing? I'm doing great. Doing tremendous. I For love real? my Monday nights. I love them. They're <laughs> the best. Can't get enough. Yeah, yeah. It's um, there's always a lot to talk about. Let's just say every 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 week this far, we've we've just come off off of this show with just like a sort of a what the fuck feeling, you know. And and I definitely need people to talk to after the fact. You didn't like the show tonight? I didn't say I didn't like it. Oh, okay. You don't know how I feel. You don't, I haven't said how I felt yet. Well, how was your weekend? Weekend was good. Yeah, weekend was good. I mean, you know, every time you ask, it's almost like I, I don't even know how to answer because I feel like it's always the same lately. It's not like I went anywhere, you know? Uh, just sort of routine at this point. Well, uh, you got a, a lot of great reception to WandaVision, so... Uh, tell me in a nutshell, what's, uh, what, what would you be recommending to a non-viewer thus far for, for WandaVision episodes one and two? And where, where can people listen to more of your, your deep thoughts? Well, the review, by the way, John, is actually called Rewand-A-Vision. Uh, it, makes Whoa. it makes more sense when you see it in writing. But uh, it's me and WH Park. We're going to do a weekly WandaVision podcast. And that is, of course, available on the Post Wrestling Cafe, which is our Patreon feed for only $6 a month. But... This week, I'm actually going to make our last episode that we reviewed on Friday free. Oof. So you can go to postwrestlingcafe.com and you can stream that for absolutely free. I'll probably send a link as well on my Twitter feed at Way0937. So you can sample that first episode. WH Park, when I asked him to do this thing, it was just more like, you know what? I haven't got, had a chance to talk to WH about comic books on one of these podcasts before, so I thought he'd be perfect. Little did I know how much the man not didn't just know about comics, but also about sitcoms, 60s sitcoms, which uh, are a heavy influence of WandaVision. It's a really good show, I think. I mean, it's it's received pretty mixed reviews for being so different from other Marvel films and, and, and you know, I guess Marvel things, TV shows even. But um, I think as the weeks progress, like the more you look into it, it's one of those things that keeps revealing like hidden layers and, and you know, rewards repeated viewing. So... Um, 
We'll just talk like about what we're about to talk about. Being just... rewarded with hidden meanings that call back to past story arcs and what is introduced in week one and then week 19, it pays off. I, I will, love I will like tell that. you that there are plenty of transformations uh, mid-scene in WandaVision as well. Uh, but, you know, the special effects hold uh, really no kind of, there's no comparison between that and what we saw tonight. But anyway, postwrestlingcafe.com, you can get the first episode for free. Way is Mr. Post Wrestling Cafe. Guy is just killing it up there. Uh, this week, some cafe highlights. Uh, Tuesday, Way and I will rejoin for Rewind Away, number 78. And I'm really excited to talk to this man, our man Neil. A guy that, uh, you know, we haven't heard his voice since the Christmas show. So I look forward to chatting with Neil about the Stone Cold podcast featuring Vince McMahon in 2014. And we're going to talk about Vince McMahon's assessment of the locker room, his thoughts on millennials, and how ambitious the locker room is. Because it's 2014. We need to make some new stars. We will see what Vince McMahon's mindset was at the tail end of 2014, year one of the WWE Network, as he chatted with Steve Austin. And a kudos to Neil for selecting a 60-minute a review this week. He's always thinking of us and I think our, our sanity, but really like the... The audience as well, because I think this is a very watchable, rewatchable interview. Of course, this is the, the infamous Brass Ring interview where the man talked about Cesaro in, in particular, because at Steve Austin's line of questioning, of course, uh, I, I, I got way more out of it watching it like years later than I feel like I did the first time around. Because they're just like, it's a real great insight into like how this man thinks his philosophy when it comes to wrestling versus sports entertainment. Uh, some nuggets. Hey, hey, that's that's what my dad does. <laughs> I don't do that shit. You know his perspective on like whether or not he truly put the other territories of the, out of business. Uh, it's the, I look forward to to the discussion a whole lot. Well, uh, we are going to be psychoanalyzing Vince McMahon on Tuesday, and then Thursday, way you are going to be chatting the wellness policy. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's a it's a week of debuts here because uh, as people will, will have heard on the Christmas show, I'm debuting a new podcast also on the Post Wrestling Cafe Patreon feed with a good friend of mine, Jordan Goodman. He's a former uh, employee at Ring of Honor who used to work in the office there, but he is also a licensed therapist. And we are going to launch a new podcast called The Wellness Policy, uh, talking to our audience really about topics that we don't usually talk about on these professional wrestling podcasts. And that includes, includes mental health, includes, you know, perhaps uh, just really kind of like, uh, I don't know how, how people have been handling the pandemic, perhaps, you know, maybe even a bit of a just, uh, shit, just get getting to know people outside of like what we usually talk about in professional wrestling. And today is actually a great time to uh, get to know Jordan because he was a guest on our friend Scrump's PWT cast. He joined Scrump for like a whole hour, just kind of talking about his own background, talking a bit about what we're expecting to to be able to accomplish on a show like this. So that'll debut at three o'clock on Thursday, three o'clock Eastern, and we invite all Post Wrestling Cafe patrons to join us for the episode and uh, it'll probably go it'll probably be a free episode that we'll put out this week as well so that'll be to thursday three o'clock so check that out and then sunday uh, you'll be dropping total recall and the next edition of rewand a vision with wh correct and that's all at postwrestlingcafe.com all right, so sign up for the cafe to get your your weekly dose of of waiting in all different forms uh 
We will also have a UFC 257 post show Saturday night with myself and Phil. We'll be live immediately after the main event between Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov. Uh, we will be up on the Post Wrestling YouTube channel, youtube.com slash postwrestling. And we will also have it up in podcast form afterwards. So we'll be chatting about that card uh, plenty uh, throughout the week and on Saturday. You can also check out an interview I did today with Mike Bond, who was over in Abu Dhabi. And it was really interesting. He went through the whole process of what he had to go through, going first to Las Vegas, all of the testing, a quarantine period there, then flying 16 hours to Abu Dhabi, another quarantine period, and all of the testing uh, involved, uh, not just getting there, but then throughout this week uh, as he's covering the three UFC cards, one of which uh, went down on Saturday, uh, did you hear a lot of buzz coming out of this card way? Because the performance by Max Holloway was uh, out of this world. Yes, I did. Uh, and, and in fact, you know, at your encouragement, I watched the fight and it was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, Well-deserved. And, you know, for an a ABC network debut, they got really ha lucky, I suppose, with the performance like that. Yeah, this was uh, one of the most dominant performances I've ever seen from any UFC fighter like the the stats after the fact I've got some here he landed 445 significant strikes the previous record was 290 that he set uh what else here significant strikes landed in around 141 he threw 746 strikes the previous record was 541 like this guy just shattered every striking record out there over 25 minutes it was just i was just in awe watching this fight and the pace that he kept for 25 minutes like sometimes you've seen fighters come out where they can just blitz through a round or two and then it's in between rounds they just totally gas out this guy was just getting more fresh, and then he's yelling at the end in the fifth round. He's the best boxer out here. I mean, this guy, this was an unbelievable performance from uh, Max Holloway, and you couldn't ask for a better platform to do this on ABC. We'll probably get the number. Uh, it was delayed. It should be out Tuesday or Wednesday, but this was uh, as great a debut as you could have on, on a new network uh, with, with Max Holloway's performance. That was, that was definitely the MMA story of the weekend. I thought it was quite amazing, but I almost felt equally amazing was the fact that Calvin Cater stood and survived the entire thing for like five rounds. Um, Did you think there was a was point crazy. they sh they should have stopped it? Because it was, yeah, he, took, maybe. he took a lot of damage and I would have been fine from the third round on if they stepped in. But I could also sympathize with, with Herb Dean that, I mean, he still was fighting and it was never like this guy was just completely out of this but i mean he took an ungodly amount of punishment in this fight and that's you know what you want to try to avoid but at the same time it was it was tough like there was any time that there was this flurry the guy would would adjust and he would fight back but it just the pressure never stopped from holloway it's like one of those things about combat sports where like you have to really be justified to to call for a stoppage because then you'll piss a lot of people off but that accumulation of damage over 25 minutes really can't be good you know, it's probably way worse than like one major concussive blow in some cases. So um, I don't think there is any point where you could have, uh, man, like you could justify it. Like as somebody who cares about fighter safety, I think you could justify it at any point. But uh, I think there would have been a lot of complaints, honestly, if uh, if there, if it did come prematurely. It's, it's the dilemma, I think, that comes down to the corner. It's you're looking at, I mean, every most corners, I should say, they're they're going to look at this fight that, hey, if. If he can make this comeback, this is such a huge fight for him. Do we take this away? But at the same time, 
Like that's where I would like some people are looking at this as like the fight of the year. To me, it was like the performance of the year by Holloway because there was not one minute that Kelvin Cater won in this fight. And by the time you're sending him into rounds four and five, like what what are we proving at this point other than we're taking a, a fighter that has already taken an unheard of amount of punishment and putting him in for five more minutes? Um, it's certainly a debate to be had. It, it was tough to say, but it's yeah, it was for, for Matt, you can watch it in two very distinct ways if you're watching it from the perspective of Holloway or the concern by watching it from the side of Kelvin Cater. But this Saturday, as you mentioned, Conor McGregor returns. Yes. Are you going to watch this fight, Way? I, you know, by the time it, it appears, I think I'll get caught up in the hype and I, I'll think I'll probably catch it. Certainly, I know Phil is going to be doing a whole lot more on the Discord, postwrestling.com slash Discord. So uh, I'll be joining in on some of that, some of that fun just to kind of watch, watch him, you know, work his magic and play all that out, especially on, uh, on the post show. So I look forward to all that. Yeah, Conor McGregor has been doing a lot of media uh, for this fight, a lot more than usual. He's been popping up everywhere. I've seen interviews. Uh, Ariel Hawani has spoken to him. Aaron Bronstetter has spoke to him. He was on John McCarthy's podcast. I mean, he's been all over the place, which has not always been the case for a Conor fight. He's predicting 1.6 to 2 million buys for this fight. And I I can't accurately pre- predict McGregor fights at this point because they typically over over-deliver and... The last one with Donald Cerrone a year ago, that was 1.3 million buys. And that was when ESPN Plus, they were at something like 6.6 million subscribers at that point. They're now at well over 10 million. So they've they've increased that amount too. So in theory, you have a larger pool to draw from. That 1.6, that's a great number, but also doesn't sound out of the realm of possibility that they could top 1.6 for this fight. We'll, we'll see if this one has the same level of buzz. It's also the first Conor fight post-pandemic, and we're talking about a very different kind of, you know, people, viewing habit for people. Like, people aren't necessarily gathering, at least we hope not, they're not gathering too many, too much in parties and in individual households. So That's a great point. So yeah, it's going to be quite different. I think the Khabib fight might be a bit more of an indicator. Yeah. No, it's it's a great point, because if you, uh, like, a Conor fight would have been the ultimate, a big group getting together, and... Even if there were people that were getting together in small groups, it's not like you're going to have your party of, or at least I hope not, parties of 20 that, you know, it might be people to just throw out that extra uh, money for it. They're also jacking up the price for this one. It's it's an extra $5 in the U.S. on, on top of it. So it's sixty four ninety nine in the During US a pandemic, come on, man. Hey, it's like, hey, let's, let's get oh. all the loose change available in everyone's couches at home. Doesn't Disney have enough of our money? You know, D- Disney's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard times away. <laughs> Got to make sure Disney gets through this pandemic. Okay, we wouldn't want Disney to have any any trouble uh, throughout all of this. So yeah, that's that's Saturday. It's a big fight, and underneath it is uh, Michael Chandler's debut against Dan Hooker. And uh, Dana White has put out this. Uh, you know, he says from his meeting that Khabib is going to watch and he's going to see if anyone really inspires him to want to fight again. And uh, Khabib's kind of been quiet about it and such. So we're, uh, that 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 is Dana's interpretation of their closed door meeting over the weekend. Always interesting. Um, that man, Dana White. So that's Saturday. And of course, Sunday, it's the big one. Wait, that's next Sunday. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> Sunday. I was like, what, what's going on Sunday? I'm not aware. Well, next Sunday is the big one. It is the Royal Rumble. And uh, the only reason I mention it is because today, right now at this moment, we are officially opening up the post wrestling Royal Rumble pool. 
Ooh. So, so you can join right now, get all your predictions in, go to postwrestling.com slash rumble. We are taking uh, your submissions, your predictions, all the way until the Sunday of the Royal Rumble at 3 p.m. Eastern. We thank our friend, of course, Chris Angler, for setting all that up. Uh, and yeah, get your predictions in right now. Where can people go to join? Postwrestling.com slash rumble, or you can find the button at the website. Perfect. So that will be up. Uh, you can submit your picks now, or you can wait a little closer to the show, uh, but that is open. So we will go through all of the results coming out of a Royal Rumble weekend, uh, which is always fun to go through all of the results uh, for our annual pool. So check that out. And thank you to Chris Engler for putting all of that together. Uh, any uh, thoughts on Hard to Kill over the weekend? Mainly the main event. It ended with Kenny Omega pinning uh, Rich Swan. I thought a pretty strong main event overall. I thought it was the best match on the show and clearly building to something larger with Kenny Omega and Rich Swan. And the next pay-per-view was announced for April 24th, Rebellion, uh, which seems to certainly have a, a Kenny Omega presence on it. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I caught the main event and I caught uh, the knockout uh, women's uh, uh, match as well as the Ethan Page thing, especially after oh, Ethan Page posted the thing that they like. I, I thought it was a very good main event. Um, the the knockouts match I was less impressed by, to be quite honest with you. But um, that Karate Man deal was every bit as bad as I think Ethan Page uh, said it was on his Facebook post. And uh, <laughs> it was I don't know. it was almost like not even a cinematic match. It was just like a shitty video feature. Like it was so lazy. And the I jokes don't know how it, funny. I don't know how it was supposed to be. Like I know it was supposed to be bad. Of course it was supposed to be bad. But I don't know how it was supposed to be really any better than I think what what they did. Like what it was <laughs> intended to be. Like it was just <laughs> bad. Not so hard to kill. Like, oh man, <laughs> brutal. Like that was his final impact appearance. Well, I mean, you don't come back from being having your heart ripped out. Yeah, well, I read that post. It sounded like he did get his heart ripped out watching this thing. Yes, yes. So um, uh, full review of that show, of course, from the past weekend with Davey, Andrew, and Nate. That's on the feed right now. So one of the major things over the weekend was the announcement of not just this year's WrestleMania, but the next two years of WrestleMania. So this year, they're once again going to be doing a two-night event on Saturday, April 10th, Sunday, April 11th from Raymond James Stadium, which was set to host the event last year in Tampa. Next year, they'll run Sunday, April 3rd at AT&T Stadium, returning to Arlington, Texas. And then two years from now, on Sunday, April 2nd, 2023, they will go to SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, which was set to be the host of WrestleMania this year. So first off way, the most pressing question is your critique of the five-minute WrestleMania announcement video. (laughs) This is one of those things that, like, is going to either gain it's going to gain a lot of attention either way but it's 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 debatable whether or not it's the good type of attention uh certainly i think if you're more the type of fan who just enjoys <laughs> straight wrestling you're gonna hate this stuff i thought I, I i i lie somewhere in between i thought it was like a fun attempt at like delivering a pretty dry message you know they had their their cast members dress up um, very important. It was very, very Southpaw regional influenced. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's meant to be a campy kind of fake, you know, in studio report with Triple H and Stephanie. Now, what I especially loved is that you had Roman Reigns appear and he absolutely did not play along. Yeah. He, 
she was just like, this is stupid. Just tell him, Paul. Um, and then a bit of a thing with Sasha. A bit of, th- of it. I thought it was cute. I thought it was like a nice way to l- deliver, a, again, a pretty kind of, you know, bl- blah, boring message without kind of like the flair of like a major uh, live in-person press conference. More importantly is this got coverage on NBC on uh, on Football Night in America on Saturday. So that's, you know, that that's great that like they got coverage of this announcement on NBC during an NFL game as well. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, you have to make it a bit more fun I think for a casual audience, right? What about uh doing two nights uh this year at WrestleMania? So this will be at Raymond James Stadium and it should be noted that in the release they stated in coordination with local partners and government officials, WWE will announce ticket availability and safety protocols for WrestleMania 37 in the coming weeks. So clearly did they, did they, they say two nights? In you're asking if it's two nights? No, uh, it is two nights. Oh, it is two nights. I didn't even get that part. Oh, yeah. Uh, this year is two nights of WrestleMania, the 10th and 11th. Okay. Um, yes. I mean, I, I suppose last year worked well enough, and I would I would assume that these will be shorter shows. And, you know, maybe much like Wrestle Kingdom, they want to be able to have two sets of audiences to at least... Y- you would up. think that this is going to be limited capacity, and I would imagine the goal is run two nights where you can hopefully replicate what you could generate... If it were one night because of mm-hmm. the limited capacity, but they have not, they have not stated what the capacity limit will be. Yeah, right. Yeah, I would, ha- I, I, I would certainly hope that it wouldn't be full capacity. I mean, our NFL games at what capacity are are those at? I think most have been running around forty. Okay, forty percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. So two nights. I, I like the idea of doing the two nights. I think it worked this this past year, and this is with uh, you, you'll certainly have a better environment. Um, the idea of bringing fans back it's it's certainly one that you can uh, you can be leery about. I think you would be completely justified in having that uh, concern. But what I don't doubt is there will be demand, and there will be demand from out of the state for this show. And I don't think they will have trouble if this is half capacity. Let's just throw that figure out there. I don't think they're going to have trouble selling those tickets. I don't think so either. Um, I think there are plenty of people who I think are, you know, sick of, I think, sitting at home. And if they see that WrestleMania is near their town or within driving distance, they will make an effort um, and take the risk, you know, at this point. I'd be curious to know what sort of protocols that they'll they'll have in place. Um, What sort of, I don't know contact tracing what sort of mandatory like they haven't really they've only had those very small crowds as a part of what what is it nxt uh show up and yes so you know how do you extend that to potentially like twenty thousand plus people yeah i don't think it's going to be a case where they're going to draw criticism for this because of the nfl precedent it is Mm -hmm. an outdoor stadium uh that said i i I don't know if it's the it's the best idea, but it is. Like, they're hardly the only ones uh, doing this. It's it's a different it's a different case when we're, you're talking about indoor sports such as uh, the NHL and the NBA. But for the NFL, like there are fans going to these games now, so I think that they feel, hey, it's this is going to be our chance to do this, and they're probably going into this with some optimism that by April uh, the vaccine will be more readily available. But I I. I I, I would 100% not be going to this show if it was April, next door to me. April is not that far away. And I mean, I, I don't really know how quickly this vaccine rollout is maybe in other parts of the country, but it's um, it could definitely be faster. I feel like at least in our neck of the woods. Um, 
But I was going to say, do you think we get WrestleMania weekend as a, as a whole? Do we? Do you think we get you know uh, uh, all the all the independents showing up and, and having a whole weekend of that? Well, they did state here information on additional WrestleMania week events is forthcoming. So that tells me that they will be planning other things. But what will those other things be? We've seen, you know, you know that they have to do SmackDown on the Friday. WrestleMania is Saturday and Sunday, and then Raw is Monday. So I don't expect the takeover to fit. I just don't think you could do that. Um, you could do some virtual events, like if you want to do like a virtual access where people can do your your virtual meet and greets, like if that's something that they want to do. Uh, I know the idea has been thrown out there about could you do the Hall of Fame virtually? Yes, you could, but I, I don't understand why, because – to me, the point of the Hall of Fame from the WWE standpoint is to draw a house, to be able to sell tickets to this thing. So if you can't do that, why throw it away? Like save it for another time. Like you don't have to do a Hall of Fame this year. I don't know. Like to me, it's it's not a must-do event until you can reap the benefits of, of doing this and you can sell 10,000 tickets to a Hall of Fame ceremony. It, you know, they did announce a whole class from last year that haven't been inducted yet. So it just could be a case of them wanting to, you know, perhaps get past this class so that by the t- time you get to it next year, you can announce a new class. Uh, maybe save it for a network special. I mean, it won't be really all that exciting. It'll probably be like the Slammies with like people accepting in their living rooms and whatnot. But um, it might just be a way to kind of move on, for instance. What about the independents? I, I think there's no doubt that some are going to do it. I think now that these dates are are locked in, I think there will be companies that are going to go and run in Florida, and those I'd be very concerned about. Um, I because I, you can't expect um, independent companies to be doing the level of testing uh, for its performers uh, that WWE will. I hope we're at a point now where, much like we're seeing with this upcoming GCW Fight Forever twenty four hour deal, that they are requiring negative tests from performers and staff. So I think that's the bare minimum you need. Uh, but that that said, it's like what what kind of venues are the options here? Are these going to be indoor venues? Or can, can you do outdoors? Uh, like I I do not like that idea, but I do think that there are going to be companies that are a hundred percent. There's going to be companies that are going to try. I mean, financially, like if if they're looking at any sort of like gathering of a wrestling audience, I mean, this will probably be the biggest one you'll have in quite some time um without a doubt really so yeah uh we we just hope everybody does it safe what would be like if if you're looking at a typical wrestlemania year like what is a reasonable expectation of like percentage of like out of town people that would go to the, these wrestlemanias do you think it would be a low number do you think it would be like 50% of those that buy tickets at wrestlemania could be from out, out of out of florida I, I don't think I mean I I don't know these stats at all I'm sure like the people doing the research have these like concrete numbers but I wouldn't be surprised if it was as as much as fifty because you would have to imagine it'd be pretty low like I can't imagine people from other countries coming for this one mainly oh, because for this one no it, like I don't think they can't can, or it would well either you can't or it would require like a quarantine period to come back yeah I don't I don't really see that but if you're talking about filling twenty thousand you know, people into a stadium. I, I don't think you need people from out of town. Yeah. If it's 20,000 both nights, like I think that they will sell that for, for the novelty of WrestleMania for two nights. I guess the question then becomes after you do this, like what is your stance on, on fans after the fact? 
the I mean that's another interesting question is like um, because by the time that uh, mania comes around they'll have they'll probably have to move out of Tropicana Field right for uh, the race for, for for baseball so they'll they'll have to move to another place for for these things and wherever they move will there be the capacity for an audience I yeah I you know I'm sure like things are kind of week to week at this point who knows what the world's going to look like by then what other sports will be doing by then um but if this goes well i I don't see why they wouldn't at least have a partial audience for raw and smackdown the last thing is that for for the next two years uh at&t stadium which they ran in 2016 and then sofi stadium finally gets their show two years delayed They've only they've announced just single night events. Do you think that the option is there, or do you feel like they will get back to WrestleMania on its own night after this year? You know, it's a really great question. I mean, I'm sure it's a matter of like I I, I think if they have it their way, they would do the single night thing completely full rather than splitting them into two. Um, so that's my prediction. I and I don't know if they can bank on filling a a complete arena two nights in a row. Yeah, AT&T Stadium, I know they throw out that 100,000 figure. The 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 number of uh, the Arlington police um stated that the number of people through the turnstile. So that would include everyone in. It was just over 80,000. So that was a more realistic number of who were in the building that night. And you're right. It's such a gigantic stadium. I I can't imagine them trying to do that one two nights. Maybe next year is when you do the piggyback with with takeover back to a Saturday night kind of deal. Sure. All right. So uh, that's the wrestling news. Uh, just quickly here, I just wanted to mention um, Paul Varlins passed away over the weekend. He was um, known in the early days of the UFC. In fact, way he, I'm fairly certain UFC six was the first UFC tape I ever rented, and Paul Varlins would have been one of the very first MMA fights I ever saw for his fight with a uh, Cal Warsham when he debuted at UFC six. So, so one have, of the first MMA fighters you've ever seen. Yeah. This would have been like oh. late 95, early 96. So he debuted at UFC six, uh, fought twice that night, losing to tank Abbott in the second round. And then just became, uh, you know, like a, a, a well-known figure during the early UFC craze when they were, you know, very popular during that first wave of, uh, popularity he came back at ufc 7 and then did ensuing fights as well uh throughout the throughout 1996 and then went elsewhere he was able to go over and just do one night tournaments and fought like quite a lot of tough guys during his career like igor volchanchin when he was relatively unknown he fought him he fought uh, kimo mark kerr uh Dick Vry was his last fight, and this was crazy. At the end of his career, his last three fights, he fought in a Valley Tudo Championship tournament on February 3rd, 98. He did two fights. Then, five days later, from Brazil, he flies to the Netherlands, and on February 8th, fights Dick Vry and knocks him out at a uh, Rings Holland card. So in the span of five days and two different continents, he was able to fight. Like, this was just the absolute insane days of mixed martial arts he also had that that brief stint with ecw in 1996 with the uh the debacle involving taz where they brought him in to lose to taz at hardcore heaven that year did not go very well and that was kind of his uh brief tenure within uh professional wrestling but he he had gotten sick 
last month. It turned out he had COVID and he had been in hospital in Atlanta for this past month and then died over the weekend. I was stunned at how young he was. He was still only 51, which gives you a sense of like how young he was fighting, you know, getting into mixed martial arts, no holds barred in uh, 1995, but uh, a standout football player at San Jose State University. And Tuesday, uh, I'm going to have a quick chat with uh, Paul Lazenby up on the site because he got to know Paul Varlins pretty well uh, when he went over to Japan uh, and Paul was there. Paul Lazenby was there with Pancrase, uh, kind of helped out Varlins a lot. They became really good friends. So we'll have a, a chat with uh, Paul Lazenby on Tuesday talking about uh, the polar bear, Paul Varlins. So there you go. That is all of the news to get into. Okay. I built myself up. Are you ready to talk about Raw? Let's get it out of our system. Yes. Okay. This is going to be uh, detox. Uh, we start off with a video in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on Martin Luther King Jr. Day in the, uh, well, celebrated everywhere. Randy Orton opens the show. He is in the shadows and he emerges. There is a saying <laughs> that people who fight fire with fire usually end up with ashes. Ashes of the one responsible for their affliction. The voices, the voices in my head have never been louder, encapsulating my every thought, just like this mask encapsulates my face. And there he is wearing his, uh, I don't know, Mr. Wrestling 1 destroyer mask. This is, uh, is this, like if I ever got burned in the face, I'm, gl- I'm glad to know that I have a lucha mask in case I ever get so severely burned. That would be the, the proper uh, bandaging for my face way. This was not like medical grade um, mask. It could have mask. had some gauze inside maybe. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I, I just, I'm open to like a visual change for Randy Orton's character. You know, he's had the same look for such a long time. But, like, I didn't expect him to kind of be reincarnated as sort of like a phantom of the opera, you know, here. Um, delivering this, like, <laughs> in a spotlight, delivering this, like, five-minute-long soliloquy. Like, as if, fuck, what was this, man? What a weird way to start the show. I transcribed a lot more, but I'm not going to get through all of this. <laughs> oh, please, please, try your best. Do as much as you want. The pure hatred I had for myself had to be redirected. And he explains that his new victim arrived like a lamb to slaughter. Until she interrupted. Now look at me. Look at me. This is the damnation I receive for showing compassion. And he hasn't been able to sleep because every time he closes his eyes, all he can see is that ball of fire hurling towards his face. And... There is no compassion left after this inferno engulfed his face and they turned up the dramatic music to bring this scene to a height. He's wearing the mask to not only protect himself, but to shield everyone from the horror he endured. He considers himself lucky. He came away with first degree burns. It could have been worse. It could have disfigured his face forever, but he doesn't blame bliss. He blames him. The fiend, and after he sent him to hell, Alexa was merely the vehicle. I'm glad he used the term vehicle because this was the start of Raw, and dude, it drove off a cliff from the beginning, and we just kept free falling for three hours. 
Well, man, this this story. Um, <laughs> what have we had so far? We've had a man um, burn another man alive. Uh, we've had somebody about to burn somebody alive, but decided at the end not to. We've had a fireball, and now we've uh, got the result of that. Well, tonight, well, another layer tonight. We're about to discuss, but um, yeah, he's he's now the the man in the iron mask. Yeah, or you know, Doctor Doom, for instance, you know, turning him into like a comic book villain or whatever he's supposed to be, babyface or heel, I still can't really tell. I mean, it actually kind of makes sense for Randy Orton because he's going up against a comic book character like the Fiend. But I'll, I'll say, like, seeing this, I got the feeling that at least Randy Orton was sort of like the lone human being character in this thing, who at least kept the whole thing somewhat grounded. Now it's just gone way too far into, like, bad sci-fi B-movie territory. You know, complete here again with these, like... Honestly, like... Okay, Orton, for, like... For all the how terrible the storyline is, I think he does a fine job executing a ridiculous script like this. I think he does a better job than a lot of people would with this sort of thing. But it was just way too long. It was so long. Like, just him talking there, uh, making this very kind of, like, long, drawn-out explanation about the story so far. And with these endless slow pains and cross-dissolves that ultimately, I think, just kind of made this thing look really cheap and amateur. So overall, I just thought it was like pretty laughably corny and definitely overstated its welcome. Are you telling me that if if you got burnt in the face and had to cover yourself up in a wrestling mask, you wouldn't be consoling yourself by watching past Royal Rumble tapes? I wouldn't. I wouldn't be doing that. Nor would I be like standing in the middle of a ring by myself with like a spotlight talking for five minutes. Like that's that's not anyway. It, realism is not what we're really aiming for here, right? No, not on tonight's show. No, we were divorced from reality. He said the Fiend wants to stop him from winning the Royal Rumble as they show highlights of him winning in 2009 and 2017. He said, you can chop my limbs off, but it won't stop me from winning the Rumble. That's actually a brilliant plan because if he got his limbs chopped off, what feet are going to hit the floor? Very good point. So um, he couldn't lose. Okay, so didn't they do? Didn't they have Zach Allen in the Rumble ever? Was he in in two thousand four? I don't know, but like, how did they explain that? I don't even know if he was in the Rumble that year. Oh, well, missed opportunity. Yeah, brilliant. So he's playing to win the Rumble. He's going to get over this this little uh, first degree burn issue, and he enjoys the pain. It fuels his every move. And he's going to burn everyone's rumble dreams to ashes as he lights a match and then blows it out. Yeah. I kinda love like how- kind of like his feud with Edge. Kind of it was really hot and then boom, into smoke this thing went. And somebody's face got burnt on fire. Yeah, man. Uh I don't really know what to think about this. I, I know exactly what to think about it. I think it kind of sucks. And I think it's it's just gotten way overboard. And I love how the awkward transition is not from, you know, you just had your face burnt. You're not really out for revenge. Your next thing is I'm going to enter the Royal Rumble. <laughs> it was like his go home <laughs> promo. <laughs> I'm going to beat twenty nine <laughs> other men. <laughs> face or no face. <laughs> yeah. Uh it's ridiculous. You know what? At this point, why not just go even more extreme. Like, I need Randy Orton complete with, like, a metal Doctor Doom mask. Uh, he should come out with a cape. 
Like he should maybe he can breathe fire. Oh, breathing fire! Yeah, he should take it out to space. You know, have them like do cut cut me a promo from the space shuttle or something. So from there, uh, these poor announcers, dude, the stuff they had to react to on tonight's show, it was just comical. They preview the show. Charlie uh, earlier in the day spoke to Lacey Evans and Ric Flair, and Lacey is asked, "What is what is this relationship with Rick?" She asks, is this TMZ? She says, Ric Flair is a legend. And last week, he lived up to his nickname as dirtiest player in the game. So she's learning from the greatest to ever step into the ring. And tonight, we're going to watch Peyton Royce knock that nasty queen off her throne as Ric Flair just nods in approval at this woman insulting his daughter. So now, like on commentary, they explain that Charlotte and Rick are actually, like, fine. They've kind of like what they understand each other or Charlotte has an understanding and that she's cool with her dad. Is that well, what they explained that they, they've had problems in the past. And this is, is right. Okay. So she has turned on her daughter, but Charlotte's like, oh, that's just dad being dad. Uh, well, I guess she's, she's more upset now. She knows what the game is. She knows that Rick is being used. So we're supposed to feel bad for Fle- for Rick here. Because okay, he's so clearly she's being a sympathy. pawn for Lacey to get to Charlotte. Right, so, so Charlotte's not uh, mad at the betrayal. She's more mad at the manipulation. The heat is on Lacey, yes. Okay, great. Peyton jumps Charlotte on the way to the ring, and we get into our match. Um, Flair went to tackle her and, like, lost her and had to reposition on top before they go to the floor. Flair then nails a forearm, neck breaker, and then Rick comes out, followed by Lacey in Rick's robe. Charlotte was upset by this. This looked was good, considered good in the robe. Sure. Um, I don't know why Charlotte was so furious about this, but this was supposed to be just sacrilege that, oh, no, you're wearing my dad's robe next to him. I'm distracted. But all this was was a setup for a two count when Royce hit her with a spin kick and we went to commercial. Flair then boots her to the floor and then she starts yelling, calling Lacey down. But Lacey has left. Her and Rick are gone. She's just yelling to no one on the stage. So Charlotte tries to place Peyton's leg on the rope so she can attack the knee. The leg falls down. So she tries again to hook it on the rope. Again, the leg falls. So Charlotte just says, fuck it, and still goes to drop on the knee, even though the knee is on the ground. It was very confusing. I think they just called an audible because Charlotte hit her and then Charlotte just repositioned, chop blocked the knee and applied the figure eight and wouldn't release the submission, but got the win in 1203. Um, yeah, I thought a pretty average match, you know, with, I like Charlotte's added aggression here. I guess, you know, seeing dad, uh, with, uh, stepmom in to be in, in Lacey, um, yeah. This feud is uh it's going places. I don't know what the initial intent for this feud was supposed to be, whether or not like they're supposed to go this hard with like I put, think put Ric Flair on television. That seems to be the goal here. It's like who who is someone that will get us attention? Ric Flair. And I think he already feels uh less special um three weeks in a row on TV. I think Flair was always supposed to pair off with Lacey with the story of like, you know, Lacey being Don Marie, like somebody who's just kind of using Rick to to get at Charlotte, flirting with him with him and everything. It just 
really got off to a really bad start with with it looking like Flair was intention, intentionally turning on on Charlotte. Um, if it had, if that spot had been executed perfectly, would I feel differently about this feud? Maybe, um, but maybe not. I just, yeah, I. Um, It's not great, I, and I'm trying. I'm trying to think what's missing because I actually quite like Don Marie and and Al Wilson, like those were fun. And maybe we're missing like the backstage skits. You know, maybe I need to see Lacey and Ric Flair like in a hotel room or something. They need to go on dates or like they need to be out t- to dinner. And it's like Flair being Flair and being a bit more vulnerable to to manipulation. The difference was that. That that storyline, it was what it was, and it was just its own thing. It was like Don Marie and Tori Wilson's story on SmackDown. They were really like disconnected from a- any kind of like seriousness that Charlotte is on this show. And I think that this is, and, and you're you're also like not going to go as far as they did with Tori Wilson and Don Marie in 2003. You mean with the story, or, uh, yes. or you mean just the the crowd reception? Uh, in t- in terms of like what that storyline was, it was essentially just here is a way to prolong this feud with Don Marie and Tori Wilson, and we can do our our lesbian storyline, and we can do what whatever segments to get Don Marie in as little clothing as possible every week on TV. Like uh, that's obviously not what they're doing here. They're trying to do a serious story here for Charlotte that is completely incomprehensible with Ric Flair just playing this random. Uh, Father that suddenly has no connection to his daughter and is just swept up by Lacey Evans. It's it's not a believable storyline. I don't think it's all that compelling of one. And it seems like Charlotte, you could go in multiple directions with. I, I don't think this is she's in dual storylines as we're talking about because well, they're already setting up the tag title program. What's messed up is that like since they won those tag team titles, there's been like nothing, no follow up, no real storyline attached to those belts whatsoever. It, it, it like her and Asuka just kind of went off and did their own thing. Well, Oscar hadn't been on TV for a few weeks. Okay, fair. But I mean, beyond this, I feel like they're just going to lose the belts. And what was really the point of giving them the titles in the first place? Yeah, you could have used Lana here. Oh, yes. Yeah, what happened to that? <laughs> yeah, she went through one too many tables, got that they, win over Naya, and then then poof, disappeared. Shit, like they, they spent weeks and weeks and weeks like giving her airtime to like get give her that value and and then it was just like gone. Well, this segment uh was gone. Oh. The hurt business meet Matt Riddle backstage. He explains he lives his life free and he takes the high road which was meant to be uh a joke. He compliments the hurt business on how they dress. Compared MVP to Gordon Gecko, which began our night of dated movie references, and he runs through nicknames for all of them. Lashley tells them to go along. He's going to chat with Riddle. Lashley tells Riddle, I like flip-flops, but they're bad for your feet. What do you mean, bro? So Bobby Lashley stomps the floor, and Matt Riddle has to fall down and scream in pain. Unfortunately, you, the viewer, got to see a full angle and got to see that this man came absolutely nowhere near this dude's foot. How this aired was baffling to me. This was an easy, okay, guys, cut. We're either going to do that again 
or we're going to shoot it where you're going to stomp and we're just not going to shoot the foot because you came nowhere close to stomping this guy's foot. This looked so silly. And the punchline was Bobby saying, I told you they were bad for your feet. Hmm. Yeah. I I can't get mad that he didn't really stomp on the dude's feet. Well, like, don't show it then. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually didn't really rewind to see whether or not you did actually see the, the lack of contact. Um, he also I, did not sell this at all in his match. Like, he was fine in the match. It wasn't even like it was this handicap he, taped, he had to overcome. Taped, he taped up the foot. Yeah, that was it. So, um... I guess it was just, you know, another bullying segment with the Hurt Business and meant to show what what, uh, assholes they are. But I just... It just came across like another kind of campy, bad, poorly acted, poorly scripted WWE backstage segment, man. If you saw how how much he missed, you would have just laughed out loud. It was so silly. Okay. Afterwards, the Lucha House Party are with Riddle and asks if his foot is okay. He explains his cousin Dylan... Once rode over his foot with a truck, but Riddle still made it to the prom. You said this guy was the worst on the mic last year. I don't know what I don't know what you're talking about, Wade. This guy clearly going for a repeat this year. Did I say that last year? No, this year you gave him more stuff. Oh, the mic. did I? Yeah, yeah this was uh, last week, Way. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of candidates. I know. Well, well, <laughs> my choice had a stellar outing tonight. Uh-huh. Mustafa Ali is with Kofi. Uh, he cuts a promo. Uh, This was earlier in the day about being home with a broken jaw isn't enough for Kofi. He wants to break his heart and his spirit by hurting Xavier Woods. And he hopes that Kingston's injury is so bad that he can't make it to the Rumble, Elimination Chamber, or WrestleMania. So you can see what I went through and watch someone take what is yours. Finally, a good promo on this show. Yeah, like I was... (laughs) It really is amazing when you see like something come from the heart from somebody versus something that was like obviously written for somebody else and rehearsed to death a million times so that it, it has no chance of feeling natural at all. This was great. Like it, 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 it was well done. A serious promo from Ali and straight to the camera and to the point. I wonder if like the intent of him kind of like, you know, transitioning from this woods program to Kofi and Ali. I wonder if that was always the intent, you know, when, when they started the whole thing last week, cause I don't recall much mention of Kofi last week. Uh, at least, you know, from from Ali in relation to his whole background with him. And I don't think Ali's really brought Kofi up since Kofi was announced to move to Raw. So um, maybe this was just kind of like something they realized midway through. But I'm I'm glad they, they have because it seems like they're building to Ali versus Kofi. I think the spot should be uh, Mustafa Ali like sneaks up and he gets the elimination of Kofi. Like that big elimination spot is... Ali's in the in the rumble and Kingston's dumped out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be great. So Xavier Woods took on Mace. This guy. What a showcase this was. Mace is uh beating him down. He starts pulling at Woods' jaw. He's gonna break his jaw as well. But Woods breaks free. The honor roll gets caught, and then he hits a baseball slide drop kick to Ali. And then Ali gets mad and he tells Mace, do it now. And Retribution circles the ring. Woods gets dropped with a boot. And then Mace puts him up on his shoulders. Uh, I don't know what he was trying to hit here. It looked 
very sloppy, and he won in four minutes and six seconds. It was so bad that during the replay, they didn't even show the ending. They just showed the opening punch when Xavier Woods punched Ali before the commercial break. And Woods lay in the ring for about the entire second hour of Raw, selling this devastating finisher. It's fine. Booking, like, I mean, just continues the story and seems to set up someone's return probably Kofi coming back in to to help him out to even the odds I was good I was thinking man could this be a ricochet spot but clearly not after tonight um could it be anybody else I don't think it will be no I think Woods is going to do the exact same thing as ricochet is going to lose to all these guys he's going to go for four so that means a slapjack should be up next <laughs> pretty much yeah you know, I, I started Raw late, so I was seeing the photos they had of Orton in the first segment, and I seriously, I thought, I thought they had given Slapjack a new mask. That's who I thought it was. <laughs> no, he he still got the uh, the hockey mask. Thank God. It's not a it's not a hockey mask. I don't think. Oh, I don't. Know I don't know what it is. I don't know where they found this one. Like it really looks like a paper plate cut up. <laughs> Sarah Schreiber interviewed Oscar. <laughs> What do you expect tonight against Alexa? I don't know. They then played the fireball replay, and it was like she continued her promo because we come back to Asuka mid-sentence with the words, Alexa has dark side. And we went to a commercial. I was like, what the hell was this? I don't know what I this have, was. I have no idea what this was. I know Asuka. Okay, first of all, I know Asuka is not a character who speaks many words, but this was ridiculous. Like, there was no semblance of an interview here. It was like oh, one person asked. It's like words. Person. It was just random. She, she caught, literally, she was scripted to say eight words with a replay breaking them up. Like, why would they go to the replay after somebody answers, I don't know? <laughs> Dude, like, it honestly not- felt like she, cut, she did like this one minute promo, but they played the replay over 40 seconds of it. Like, it's so weird. Yeah, like, I don't know if they just needed to pad this thing out for time and needed a place to just insert this kind of replay of Alexa being bad or something, but it was as if they had lost the whole page of script for Asuka and just decided to play it out like it was a complete segment anyway. This would be the least of Asuka's troubles on Monday night. They showed the WrestleMania video, and we come back with Alexa's playground. Alexa's in her playground on the swing, And she wants to address the Viper in the room. And she said she just came out last week to talk before things got heated. And I can recommend some good sunblock for you. We we had been under the impression that The Fiend was somehow the really poorly booked babyface in this program. I really don't know what this program is. I don't think... Alexa's the baby face. Clearly, she's not. She went up against Asuka tonight. Okay. So that makes Randy... Are we to feel sympathy for Randy as he threatens to murder everybody in, in <laughs> response to this burning? I now can channel Shade. all my hatred towards you because you know I have what? no compassion left. John, it's 2021. Shades of Grey, okay? this is These are real people with real stories. It's not black and white. She welcomes Asuka. Poor Oscar. She had to just play frightened this entire segment with Alexa. She's completely scared of this woman. Alexa started talking to an imaginary person in the empty swing. She said, it wasn't supposed to be like this. You're still supposed to be here. And 
I could only imagine like this was uh, a call for the younger audience that is tuning out in droves for this. Asuka says it would be her honor if Alexa won the Royal Rumble and they'd face each other at WrestleMania. I just couldn't. I could not imagine three more months of this. So Bliss, Asuka starts playing her theme song and dancing to it. This upsets Alexa. And then after she's talking to the imaginary person that we're, I guess, to believe is the spirit of the fiend, Asuka says he's still here. And Alexa says, don't say his name. And it ends with her going over to a rocking horse. Because the rocking horse was moving on its own to signify that. I mean, there's a presence there. Um, you know, maybe maybe Vince got on Disney Plus this week, saw that everybody was talking about this new, you know, Marvel show, and decided we could tell the story of somebody with a dead lover conjuring up imagery of them still being around. Maybe this was it. But um, for me, like a big fault was seeing Asuka here, of all people, your double champion, somebody who's been positioned as really your most credible threat in the women's division, having a sell for this like ghost. It was and I awful. get, I get the, I get the idea. Okay, it's like Hikaru Shida Abaddon, like it's Yokozuna Undertaker. I guess there's some sort of rule that like Asians are all superstitious and like can't deal with like ghosts and shit. Uh, fine, but I wouldn't have done it with Asuka. For one thing, her acting was awful. It was like either direct, the direction was not clear or she just is not very good at it. She was terrible here. Um, I don't think Alexa was that much better. I think for one, it's, it's, it's one thing for like Hikarushita to also be freaked out by like something legitimately scary looking like a demon, like Abaddon. I think it's another for Asuka to be freaked out by like you know, the attractive character, attractive woman with pigtails on a swing set. Like there's really nothing to be, that makes her look all that different from her usual self here. And man, it was just like, I, I don't also don't really understand the direction of her suddenly like having to appease Alexa by like consoling her and like dancing. Like if you're just going to be scared, then just act scared and like creeped out. Like I, I don't understand like the rest of this segment. It came across pretty confusing, I think, just even in a narrative way. It made Asuka look bad, and it's not the type of, like, fear where you want to see her overcome like you do, or at least I did with Hikaru Shida. Yeah, I I think that the, the, the line is so low when it comes to performances at times that I think that there's a segment of people that just look at this Alexa Bliss character and are just so wowed by it. To me, it's... It's almost irrelevant because how does this fit into the the body of your show? And if your argument is you can have one or two supernatural characters, it's it's not just one or two characters in The Fiend or Alexa Bliss. It's all the supporting cast that have to enter this world and play off of these people. And how many swings and misses have we had that it's just done a number on these baby faces? And Asuka was just added to the pile tonight. They come off so ridiculous. And if you want to just talk about straight on storytelling, what is it the viewer, what is the hope of what the viewer wants out of this program with The Fiend and Randy Orton? Like what, what is the resolution you're rooting for? Are you hoping that The Fiend comes back to life and kills this man? Are you hoping that Randy Orton is going to kill The Fiend? 
I don't think there's any of that because it's it hasn't been great storytelling. It's been it's just like what is the most conjured up ideas we can come up with on a weekly basis and have just completely a loss of logic, which you can get away with in aspects, but you you've dragged down significant performers. Randy Orton is one of them. He is just a complete comedy figure at this point on the show to me. And him and Asuka, I think, were two of the strengths of this program six to eight months ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that's one of the central concerns about this whole thing is, like, there's really nobody to cheer for. You're not really supposed to like anybody. And um, I don't know if I really even want to see them fight each other um, by the end of it all. And now that Asuka's dragged into it, um, I, 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 I definitely have concerns. Uh, I have a lot of concerns about like, you know, whether or not her level of acting is capable of telling a story like this. It's, it, it, you know, I think Randy Orton is somebody who you can at least trust to like have a soliloquy performance. Like you saw at the opening of the show. I, I don't trust Asuka to do, to be able to do the same. Like, you know what Asuka's strengths are. It's her incredible wrestling. She's very charismatic doing her weird thing. It's not, I don't think doing this type of like, you know, acting scared, supernatural type of segment. So, yeah, I I thought at the end of this, like this will be a front runner for worst segment of the year. By the end of the show, I don't even know if it was the worst segment on tonight's show. Yeah. Which brings us to Schreiber interviewing the Miz and Morrison. And tonight, Bill Goldberg will appear on the dirt sheet and they promise it will be controversial. Jeff Jarrett previewed Drew McIntyre and Bill Goldberg. He quoted a Toby Keith song. I might not be as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I've ever been as he cut this promo in front of his wall of lanyards, including a triple mania one. And he is predicting Bill Goldberg wins spear jackhammer one, two, three. Hell of a prediction. Yeah. Nice nod to Toby Keith, former TNA star. Yep. TNA original. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke uh, came out and (laughs) Tom Phillips asks, how are all – so Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax are out in the other corner. So we've got Mandy, Dana, Shayna, and Nia all out. And Phillips asks, how are all four going to coexist come the Royal Rumble match? I'm scratching my head. I was like, has he confused this with the Survivor Series? Because that is not what they have to do in this match. So Byron and Samoa Joe, I could tell these two just looked at each other. They're like, do we let that pass? Nope. Byron politely explained how that made no sense. And then Joe just flat out said, I don't think they really have to coexist in that match. It's every, every woman for herself. And we moved on. So we had Mandy Rose versus Shayna Baszler. I, I cut him a lot of slack. They have to juggle a lot on these. I, listen, I'm I, I'm I'm not being nice, but the I was in a bad mood during this show. By this the point. match types, the genres, the the depth. In fairness, this isn't like the first time we're trying this Royal Rumble thing out. I think everyone's got a concept of it. Every man for himself. It's a tagline. Nia Jax was on commentary. So, so the story is. The team that hates each other are not getting along with one another. The team that hates each other, that being Shayna and Nia, they can't are having problems. They can't get along with one another. Uh huh. Yeah. My question is, 
They couldn't get along as champions. Now they have lost the titles. Why are they still teaming together? These two are at each other's throats every week. They would explain this later. So (laughs) there's knees from the clinch. Byron is detecting that there's some bad blood developing between Jax and Baszler. Baszler stomps the elbow. Brooke distracts, does a roll-up, but then Baszler kicks out the arm, twists it, and then turns it to the Kirafuda clutch, and Mandy Rose taps yet again in 346. After the match, Baszler and Jax continue to argue. Dana comes off the apron, drop kicks Nia, sending Baszler into the post, and we are warned, all is not well in the Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler camp. Back to yes. those days when they were just insulting one another. Now they're, uh, they're at odds with one another. You know, somehow in the midst of all this, like, they're also supposed to be pushing Dana and Mandy as potential contenders for this tag team titles, which I'm assuming Nia and and Shayna are going to win again, and then they'll they'll face uh, Dana and Mandy for. And I just, uh, I just feel like they have a long way to go for Dana and Mandy to get them hot enough to, you know, be credible contenders. Um, she's lost what, like two weeks in a row? Oh, dude, they've they've been losing every week, every every segment. Which Shayna laid these two out last week or two weeks ago, right? So I'm guessing, like you know, maybe like during the Rumble they'll have a big elimination of Nia, maybe the both of them, and that'll kind of be their way of, of getting them ready. But um, yeah, they continue to argue backstage. Charlie observes they aren't getting along. They know we never got along, but Charlotte and Oscar they don't get along either which I've clearly missed something, and they want the rematch that they never received, even though we had that stipulation where you don't have the automatic rematch anymore. I guess that's been rescinded. They Jax, forgot about that. Jax tells Shayna, that's a good idea. How does Charlotte and Oscar not get along? Didn't, like, last time we saw them together, they're, they were, like, talking about, you know, helping each other's, like, helping my friend out? Yep. Okay. Schreiber interviewed Charlotte and asks, how uncomfortable is it to watch Lacey wearing your father's robe? Not being involved in a romantic uh, relationship with your father, but wearing his robe. Charlotte says she's constantly been accused of living off her last name, getting opportunities she doesn't deserve. But now there is a woman draping herself over her father, living off my last name. She is using my dad to get to me. But I have learned from the dirtiest player in the game since day one, and maybe I need to go down that path. You can wear his robe, but you'll never wear my crown. What does she mean when she's going to, like, I guess go down the dirty path? Yeah. She's going to hit on her husband or something? Oh, yeah. Maybe she, I I don't know. I guess we we did it. We did introduce uh, the husband, right? Or was it just the kid? Maybe just the kid. I don't know. Um, listen, th- this is one of the best parts of Raw. The cleaned up Roman Reigns, Adam Pierce segment from Friday. Oh, I skipped it. What happened? How did oh, they clean it? They used their magic. They must have done another voiceover with Adam Pierce, but it sounded seamless. But they, cl- they had like Pierce's lines that were all screwed up. They just put the camera on Reigns. Like you would have had no clue uh, at the mic issues they had on Friday. They are the right. best at doing this stuff. Oh, Adam, <laughs> I need a minute here. Adam Pierce is with Ricochet. <laughs> he tells him, Ricochet, Rick, a win over AJ tonight could go a long way for you. It could start your road to WrestleMania. Maybe you can get into the Royal Rumble. 
AJ walks into the scene. With, so, so Ricochet can't even declare himself to enter the Rumble. We've like learned everybody. the hierarchy. There's those <laughs> that then can declare, and then there's the Drew Gulak geeks. Guess where Ricochet is slotted? Yeah, clearly. AJ and Omos walk into the shot. They make fun of Pierce for running away from Roman Reigns, stating at least if you fought him, you would have lost, but would have left with your dignity. And then the segment that I literally had to rewind to make sure that these were the words that came out of the man's mouth. Ricochet. Huh. I feel bad for you because it sounds like you have selective amnesia. You know, like Drew Barrymore in 51st Dates. So then this fucking geek explains the plot of this movie. And AJ... Says, I know the movie. It's in my top 10, along with the notebook. And then Ricochet points out that you also lost at TLC. And he gets all angry, and he's going to prove he deserves to be in the Royal Rumble. Dude, like, I cannot fathom the stuff that they give this poor guy to have to recite. This was a new low. Man, I just, too much of this show really takes place in, like, on a, in a script, and, um... I think we're so past the argument of like, man, these guys don't sound all that natural. Like when they're reading all this stuff, like it's, we're way beyond that. Dude, this know? would have been impossible. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. think Dwayne Johnson could have done much with this. Fuck, I don't, I don't think Daniel Day Lewis could have pulled this one off. Like it was, it's just, it's a combination of people who aren't actors trying to act and also just really bad, probably very rushed scripts. Cause, um, I don't know how many, how much time they would have had to perhaps get all this stuff out there? How, uh, how do you arrive at this movie? Like, like what? What is it about the like a seventeen-year-old reference that get like that's that's the go-to? Well, it's probably old people who are writing all this stuff. You know, people who remember fifty-first uh, dates as may- maybe the closest reference point. I mean, it's fi- it's old people watching this show, John. I mean, if they made a reference of a show of a movie that came out this year. I think a lot of people probably wouldn't understand it that we're your typical audience for this show. Well, that was the least of the issues here, but uh, poor Ricochet here. AJ tells Pierce he doesn't like him anymore, therefore almost doesn't like him anymore, and just stared him down. I didn't understand what what this follow-up was, but they don't like Pierce. That said, these two had a hell of a match together. AJ and Ricochet, this was, there, there was nothing close. This is the best thing on Raw tonight. There was a Styles Clash that got blocked early. Ricochet used a head scissors, and then a Pescado was caught by Omos, and he warned him to drop him, so he didn't. He just dropped Ricochet right on the ground. There's a backflip to a German by Ricochet into a bridge, but then went for a Cabrata into a forearm from Styles. Styles hit a brainbuster. Ushiguroshi goes for the phenomenal forearm, but gets hit with a recoil in midair for a near fall. Ricochet then goes to the top. He's knocked down. Springboard gets caught by AJ, and then he slingshots Ricochet, who bounces off the top into the Styles clash and pins him in 13 minutes. This finish was awesome. Incredible, incredible finish. Um, definitely one for the highlight reel of all-time styles clashes. This is the only 13 minutes of this show I'm going to recommend. Very good match. You know, going in, I was actually quite amazed how little I cared about seeing AJ Styles versus Ricochet. But then they started wrestling, and you just see this incredible chemistry. And you see the incredible agility and athleticism from, like, 
you know, two, honestly, like two, like incredible, incredible performers that I think they've done really well with AJ, but man, it's a reminder of like how much they've dropped the ball with, with Ricochet, who should, if anything, be higher on a higher level than AJ Styles by this point in 2021. And lost and lost. He doesn't get into the front. Well, I mean, I guess that's the story. You know, he's, he's just a loser. Like that's, that's how they're trying to push him. I would say that they're trying to do it. Great. They, they have accomplished the goal. I do view him in that light. So they have accomplished that. The fact that they keep like giving him airtime suggests to me that they are trying to set up some sort of redemption, but we know how, how well that goes. That can go either way. They can either be setting him up for a big WrestleMania win, or he could just be a loser by the end of all this. And you don't hear from him again. And you know, if history with Ricochet in this company is, is any indication, it, it might be more so the latter. But at least tonight, I'm glad these two had a chance to do something special because I, I think that spot will be remembered for a long time. It was a very cool finish. Um, yeah, this was this is the best match on Raw by a landslide. So uh, all good things come to an end and then all crappy things continue. That brought us into the dirt sheet. This was an all-time horrendous segment. Morrison and Miz are in the ring. These two are just nails on a chalkboard to me at this point. They do a big, elaborate intro for Bill Goldberg, and out comes 61-year-old Dwayne Gill, Gilberg. So he comes out, and we do the, the sparklers, the whole 1998 retread. He comes in, he cuts a promo about blowing smoke out his nose and fire out his ass. Then Drew McIntyre's music plays. These announcers, they get they go so apeshit when Goldberg's music plays. Like, oh my god, it's Goldberg, it's Goldberg. They get the letdown. Then Drew's music plays, they're right back to square one. They believe, oh my god, he overcame his quarantine period. He's here. And then this shirtless imposter comes out, his wig falls off, he's holding a dagger. This guy tries to cut a promo, it's cut off. Then he asks to redo it, they're live. Miz and Morrison argue. Gilbert poses. Dude's ass is falling out of his kilt. Miz says he's going to cash in the contract. Do you know who this actor was? I don't know. He's probably someone backstage. I don't know who it was. I, I'm pretty sure this dude was David Crumholtz, who is a very legitimate actor. You'll have remembered him from like <laughs> Slums of Beverly Hills, Harold and really? Kumar, like the Santa Claus, Freaks and Geeks, Superbad. Like the Adams family, David Crumholtz. You'll definitely have seen a movie with him. Oh, I think I think that this guy looks identical to the dude. He is a very legitimate actor, and I suppose. Um, well, he was awful in this segment. He was absolutely dreadful. Well, it's not like he was supposed to be a, a great Drew Drew McIntyre impression. He really was just there to play stereotypical fat guy with like an ass crack sticking out, and. Um, you know, for somebody who, man, I, everybody needs work. Everybody needs to work right now. So uh, that's who it was. It was him. Okay. Well, um, what a bizarre segment to say, hey, we need an actual actor for this. I guess he was available. Um, Dwayne, Dwayne Gill, by the way, um, recently had hearts, uh, a heart attack. Uh, There's like a GoFundMe that was out for him recently. So... Seems like he's doing fine, but um, definitely like uh, oh god, he had a heart attack on November twenty fifth. Yeah, yeah, two months so, ago. So um, 
concerning, perhaps, you know, like seeing him travel and, and being a part of, of like a, an environment like this. But Well, he was know. essential for this show. Well, uh, medical bills are expensive. I mean, that's that's the other thing as well. This was just an all-time terrible segment, I thought. Bobby Lashley, Shelton Benjamin, and Cedric Alexander against Riddle, Dorado, and Metalik. Riddle's foot is wrapped, uh, but then the beginning of this match was Benjamin and Alexander couldn't get along. MVP's upset. Riddle gets the hot tag, and he just runs wild. The announcers note he's not showing any issues from the foot. He misses a floating bro. Cedric gets in Shelton's face. Lashley just tags in. He's sick of all this. Spears Metalik, Hurt Lock, and they won in 12 minutes and 19 seconds. Our valiant babyface then gave a cheap shot to Bobby Lashley and then sprinted on his bad foot away from him. I was just rooting. Oh, Riddle. Yeah. And then Cedric and Shelton continue to argue. Man, Riddle is just the worst. <laughs> like He's just like the, the worst baby. Like, come face. on, Bobby. Get him. Get him. <laughs> I'm rooting for Lashley to just oh, annihilate this guy. Like, imagine if Ashton Kutcher from like Dude Where's My Car was also a sore loser who like cheated to win and like won't accept defeat till sneak attack you after the fact. Like, how am I supposed to like this guy? Ah, uh, because uh, Bobby Lashley stomps on cement. Okay, protects yeah. his opponent. Backstage, Elias is with Jackson Riker. There's not going to be any misunderstanding this week. Riker apologizes for not understanding the instructions last week of doing the opposite of what he was told. He said, we got our signals crossed. Elias says, this isn't Thomas the Tank Engine. It's Monday Night Raw, which at least on the former show, which I've watched a lot of over the last three years, the trains always get out of the station on time on that show. I can't always say the same thing on Raw. (laughs) <laughs> very nice. It's a very simple concept of Thomas the Tank Engine, okay? Train leaves, has a destination, it overcomes, it gets to the destination. Every episode. I don't yeah. need to be swerved, nothing lights on fire, there's no, uh, I, I know that I'm always going to root for Thomas, Thomas is never going to threaten to murder Percy. It's not three hours either. Oh, it's 28 minutes, tops. <laughs> Riker says he's going to beat Jeff Hardy until he accepts the universal truth of Elias, whatever that means. Then we got an actual promo from Drew McIntyre, who is in fact at home, still recovering from COVID, but he's stronger than ever. He makes fun of the segment from earlier. He says, Raw is kind of like the circus. You've got the clowns like Miz and Morrison, and then you have people like me, the Lions. He respects Goldberg. He better bring his best version or he's going to get eaten alive. And Drew is coming back next week. To Raw. Yes, he is. He's back. Yeah. Yep. Um, His promo was fine. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff Hardy, Jackson Riker. Um, They had a match. Riker tried the bulldog choke. And then Tom Phillips said that Jeff Hardy, who has declared himself for the Rumble, is preparing for his sixth Royal Rumble appearance. Six. That can't be right. I... Couldn't fathom that. I didn't check it. It'd probably be like 16th, if anything. Like he would have been in what? The first one, like 99? He would have been in that one? Probably. Uh, like he, he, he had wrestled. the break, but I can't imagine he's only had six Rumble appearances. I guess six it's possible. Right. Yeah, I, I I can't think. Well, we'll see. Someone Maybe. in the room, check for us. Yeah. Uh, he went for a twist of fate, goes for the Swanton. Elias knocks him down, DQ in 311, and Riker's looking all surprised. He tells Elias, I said not to help me. 
and he argues. <laughs> Elias says, you wouldn't have kicked out of the Swanton. I could have kicked out of it. And Hardy attacks Riker, but Riker makes his own comeback and takes him out with a sidewalk slam. Another baby face that you uh, have all the faith in the world in, who tried to attack from behind and he got laid out. So the running gag is that they can't communicate about whether or not they want each other to help. No one gets along. There are no friends on this show. Everyone hates each other. No, these two get along. They're just like, you know, kind of fools. You know, it's like last week it was. uh, (laughs) They're the clowns. They're part of the clowns. It was Elias wink, wink, saying, don't help me. And then Jackson Riker actually thought he said, don't, he meant don't help me. This week, um, Jackson Riker thought Elias wasn't going to help him. And then it turns out Elias thought he meant, I thought you said not to help. Not not to help. I thought they were adorable. I thought they were cute. And then when he hit the swanton, nobody kicks out of that. I could have. I thought that was pretty funny. Like, it's a stupid storyline that I got to kick out of tonight. Sure. They promote that next week, Drew McIntyre and Bill Goldberg will both be on the show. And hopefully Goldberg has uh, a better verbal attack on Drew McIntyre. Something to legitimately accuse him of. Then what? Than the made-up accusation oh. of two weeks ago. Oscar yeah. and Alexa Bliss, non-title. Alexa is laughing, making a bunch of faces. Oscar hit her with a shining wizard. The light short circuit, we go dark, and we go to commercial. Come back, power is restored. Bliss is just standing in the ring. She, st- she, she's wearing, like, a different outfit. She's got black lipstick now. So that's she had a wardrobe point. change during the break. Yeah, they're trying and to convey- Oscar is frozen in fear of this. See, they're trying to like convey the fact that this is some sort of transformation the way that you would get with the fiend and Bray Wyatt, but it's not much of an impressive trick when it happens in the span of a three minute commercial break. You know? It's like it's one thing if it's lights out and then lights back on and this person's completely different, but like three minutes, like that's that's enough time to I don't know, just completely like put on a Giant cosplay outfit. Yeah, it's like she's playing Courtney Love and Asuka's just frightened by this. Um, So Bliss is just standing there. Asuka is like scared to death in the corner of this woman. So then Alexa Bliss turns into like prime Anderson Silva here. She's like dodging every strike. Okay, I went went with with Killer Coda here. (laughs) Uh, That too. So she's emotionless. And yeah, she's avoiding strikes. Asuka then... Uh, lands a knee, but sends her into the corner, and Alexa bends over and leans at her, and this frightens Asuka again. She stops in her boots. Alexa tries with the mandible claw, and Asuka tries to fight her. Asuka's lifted up and then hits a spinning back fist and a head kick. Alexa no-sells it and just grabs her, holds her forever, and then hits the sister Abigail that Asuka does not try and defend. And she pins Asuka in 11.38. The announcers yelled, what the hell just happened? And then we do an extreme close-up of Alexa. And then she changes back to regular Alexa and mouths the words, let me in. As I let myself out and was done (laughs) with Raw. So the idea is that the Fiend has now possessed Alexa. Yes, we had an inner inner gender match that WWE can pull off. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, they're they're doing that on SmackDown as well with Sasha and Reginald. So I guess is, is Sasha crazy. gonna take over the body of um, 
I don't know. Technically, I suppose you can get away with it if it's a, a man possessing a woman's body, but uh, but we don't know if the we don't know the gender of the fiend. I think the fiend is gender fluid. So um, that's the story that they're going with. It's the fiend's return from after being burnt in Bray Wyatt's carcass. He now he's now returned in Alexa Bliss's body, <laughs> and um, you know that's uh, the professional wrestling show that we're we just talked about. So. Alexa wouldn't have a claim to now go for the title. She did not win a non-title match. Bray won the non-title match. Well, I mean, Bray doesn't really exist. Is the Bray going to win the Women's Royal Rumble? Is Bray going to win the Women's Royal Rumble? Uh, the Fiend might. I don't think the uh, Bray's burnt body is burnt. Sorry, the Fiend. Yeah, the Fiend. Keep all my characters straight. So I'm, I'm lost on this show. It, it this was a brutal episode. Yeah, they've really gone off the deep end with this Alexa thing. It's like I, I think you need something to really ground it. Like you need an element there that still feels human enough. And with Randy Orton now being super comic book character, it just um, it's it it has gotten to the territory of alienating people more than drawing them in. I could be totally wrong. Maybe the mainstream, like your casual audience, will love this shit. But I just, I can't imagine like Ca- casual how, audience isn't watching. I can't imagine how complex this is for somebody just stepping into like wrestling. Hey, it's Monday. Let's like remember mm-hmm. Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. Let's check that show out. And then seeing this show, I'd really, I would love to know their reaction. Um, but anyway, it's a story, uh, and it's the main story that they're going with. They're going all in with it. I think there's going to be a lot of negativity towards this show. And then uh, the ratings are delayed tomorrow. So Wednesday, the numbers are going to come out and they're going to be higher because they have no football now to go against. And that's going to be a uh, an evaluation of, oh, everyone was so negative on this show. No, that the, the number being up this week has absolutely nothing to do with the quality of the show. And it was not great tonight. And I think that is, is an overall trend that is concerning. Uh, with Raw, and I don't think that this is the the direction, and they are doubling down. Like this is the entire focus of Raw is doing this. Like the Fiend is whether he's there or not, he is the dominant theme of the entire episode. Yeah, this type, excuse me, this type of storyline, and obviously like uh, Drew not being there, you, you kind of have to rely on this a whole lot more. But last week was going to be this, you know, fireball stuff, regardless of whether or not Drew was 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 present. Um, I think in the weeks to come, you'll see more Drew Goldberg. You'll see more push for the Rumble. And... They only got one week way. Oh, yeah, you're right. So what is the match? That, like, I guess Alexa's going to be... The Fiend stuff is going to be part of uh, the Rumble, and I suppose, like, uh, Orton stuff is going to... The, the Fiend-Orton storyline will take part in the Rumble matches themselves. Yeah, unless unless they change things up, like they've just announced Orton for the Rumble. And the fiend, they haven't announced anything. He's still dead. Haven't they announced Alexa? Alexa is in the Rumble. Yes. So, so the fiend is in the Rumble. Oh, sorry, dude. I I can't keep up with this <laughs> at this point. I'm done. So that was the show. Uh, let's take some feedback. Uh, I can't imagine this show. I'm going to predict gets a two. A three point six. Wow. I think that's generous. Maybe all for Ricochet and uh, AJ. Andrew from Cape Breton. 
Raw was sloppy in parts tonight. I think the main issue was when Bobby Lashley stomped the ground with so much force it not only injured Matt Riddle's foot but sent shockwaves through the production truck. Some of the matches were good, but Raw still has the same issues of repeats. This might be an unpopular opinion, though. Bray Wyatt is one of the worst wrestlers in the history of the company. Even look back at his run, it seemed like a cool gimmick at first, but it spiraled into him randomly, incoherently, before taking some time off. Now with The Fiend, again, I was intrigued, but it quickly fell off the rails after that Hell in a Cell match. He's only been able to have one good match since becoming The Fiend, and that was against Daniel Bryan, who also happens to be one of the best of this generation. And now with this gimmick, it's like a black hole that sucks everything in around it and obliterates it. Show is the usual fare, three Dick Buyer masks to cover your burns out of ten. Good to Anthony, who says, under any cir- other circumstance, seeing Dwayne Gill on TV after the man nearly died of a heart attack late last year would be a highlight. The man entertained fans throughout his career as a comedy character, and at the time, fans took for granted that this man, this is a man who loved lived doing what he loved, and 2020 couldn't take him away. I'm glad. But don't bring him back during a pandemic. No rating, terrible movie, WWE. Nick writes, another Raw that at best was meandering, and at worst was hard to watch. Sad state of affairs for an episode two weeks away from the second biggest show of the year. Randy's work over the course of 2020 was super compelling. However, the last two weeks feel like an attempt at melodrama that was boarded on self-parody. Styles Ricochet was the highlight of the show. However, I'm not getting my hopes up for an extended push of WWE's most wasted high flyer. Really appreciated Alexa's great character work as well, but on the whole, this show felt inconsequential. Adam says, after Raw, I'm left thinking about two things. First, the AJ versus Ricochet match. Not about their match, but their individual untold documentaries. AJ's just debuted on the network, and his main message was that he has earned where he is. I couldn't help contrast it with Ricochet's I Shouldn't Even Be Here documentary. Secondly, and most importantly, there are only a few more days until the next episode of WandaVision. Uh, have you had a chance to watch the untold? No, I haven't. Is it good? It, it's really good. Um, it's... It it all centers around his debut at the Royal Rumble, and you know at this point with WWE like network documentaries, they're very free to kind of talk about their legitimate histories and and the path that they took here. So you saw a lot of TNA footage. Um, oh, there was TNA footage in it. Yep, plenty of it. Talking about just uh, you know, I mean, it really started with him like you know being in WCW, having a tryout in WWE, and then ultimately uh, joining TNA for years. You know, got into a bit about like him being in New Japan and of course the big day of his debut. And the best moment, of course, um, this is a a scene that's etched in stone and they're make, making a whole documentary out of it. But it's like AJ Styles, like he's about to come out number three in the Rumble. The words, I am phenomenal, come on the screen. The place goes wild. He walks out and the first thing you see, the law up next. <laughs> That sign is just like dead center. They're like slow mowing the whole thing, and it's just like right there. It's great, uh, but it's 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 a recommended watch. It's thirty minutes. Did you talk about his uh, short lived nickname, the Pitbull? Did not talk about that. No. Oh heck. Paul from New Jersey. I've been waiting for somebody to stomp on the feet of that dork riddle for a long time. Bobby Lashley is a smart man. Would Ric Flair turn on his daughter for some young booty? Yes, yes, he would. Then even let Peyton Royce wrestle a match on television. It's kind of a shame WWE didn't take retribution seriously. If Ali went after Kingston initially for taking his spot in the chamber, I think that would have been a good storyline. I've been critical of Alexa Bliss promos of the past, but I think she settled into this character nicely, even though the content itself is pretty weird. Wouldn't call us a great show, but I think it's a step up from what we usually see. Five out of ten. Yes, our favorite pop culture shoehorn reference tonight. TMZ, White Claw, 51st Dates, or Thomas the Tank Engine. 
I, I missed the White Claw reference. Do you remember where that was? Yeah, it was uh, Shayna. It was the Shayna segment where she's like, oh. I'm going to kick you to the curb more, more <laughs> quicker than an empty can of White Claw okay. or something. <laughs> it's, like, it's become like a drinking game. Like, take a shot every time WWE Raw drops a <laughs> random pop culture reference. Um, but there you go. At least that one was current. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a relatively new invention. Yeah, White Claw. Well, thank you, everybody. I want to thank all the people for joining us live. Um, if you want to hear us uh, be more positive, uh, we do many other shows this week. You know, like how honestly throw Raw out of the mix. Like most other shows, like they're pretty, they're pretty damn consistent. I would what, say we come on like wrestling. You mean like shows you watch in a given week that you come away with with, with like I'm not going to say like they're a home run every time, but there's a lot more positive than negative. I feel. Out of pretty much any other show than Raw. You talking about wrestling? Yes, wrestling. In general, yeah, the shows that we review. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. Like, Raw is definitely the most kind of, like, you know, critical. We are definitely the most critical about this show because there's a lot to criticize. Like, we just saw, you know, a a spirit possess a woman, woman's body mid-match. We saw Randy Orton in a mask talk for, like, about 10 minutes. Did you ever watch Passions on NBC? Never. So I watched that show religiously, okay? And that's what I feel like I'm watching repeats of. That is what it's taking me back to. I think of Passions, which was a soap opera, a daytime soap that understood all the tropes of soap operas. And they ridiculously did not take themselves in the slightest bit seriously. And they did all of this stuff of like demon spirits there was uh, – what was the guy's name? It was like Miguel's older brother who <laughs> his his girlfriend was seeing someone else and they couldn't tell him this secret because if he got bad news, he would die. <laughs> so they couldn't tell him anything that would upset him because he would die. This was just like – they would go into like the, the other world. It was just ridiculous and that is what I feel I'm reliving now with – raw is passions but it's not as fun as watching passions right yeah thank you you got one division i got passions okay those that is the clear-cut difference between you and me um you know i I don't know what raw could do to to make it more passions like for you what do you recommend uh i I don't want to go back to passions um let's not even discuss we are going to be back on Tuesday. We've got Rewind Away. We're chatting about the Vince McMahon interview from 2014. Should be a, a fun discussion. And then Wednesday, uh, the Up Next crew, uh, the Up Next feed, we should mention, they will be now holding, uh, hosting Deep Impact on Tuesday nights. Davey Portman will be joined by Andrew Thompson on Tuesday night. Uh, so subscribe to the Up Next feed, and they'll be chatting about the post-hard-to-kill impact. And then Shot in the Dark also drops on the Up Next feed on uh wednesdays and also if you tune into twitch.tv slash up next you can see them review aew dynamite thursdays i believe at one o'clock all right check out all of that and then we've got dynamite and up next coming your way on wednesday night so there you go that is it we are out goodbye